Some economists at Oxford University have found their way to designing a pilot program for a universal job guarantee, actually the world's first. This idea seemed kind of fanciful a few years ago, and now not so much. What the program does is to offer people a job, but also to support them and make people better off through that guaranteed job. From the home offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, the best place to get the truth about who gets what and why. I'm Nick Hanauer, founder of Civic Ventures. I'm David Goldstein, senior fellow at Civic Ventures. So, Goldie, a long time ago, a couple of years ago, I think at least, um, we started kicking around the idea of uh, federal jobs guarantee, uh, basically a way of reforming or transforming our social safety net right. in ways that was effectively more, more focused on giving people jobs than just giving them money if they were unemployed. And, 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 it, and this was this was pre-COVID. When yeah, we, this is, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. For, back yeah. in the in the before times. In when the we, before times. We yeah. first discussed it uh, on this podcast. And it's interesting because the COVID experience was one of massively ramping up unemployment insurance, um, both increasing benefits and extending it during COVID to keep people from falling into destitution. That's right. As what? Oh, 20% of the workforce <laughs> found itself out of a job, whatever it was. The largest spike in unemployment claims, like off the scale, like you'll never, it'll, it's like the doping in baseball. You'll always have to have an asterisk for these years, yeah. but that's not what they did throughout the world. In some places, they actually subsidized employers to keep people employed right. and they didn't have this massive disruption where people were in a job then you're out of a job and now we're still we're still recovering we have a labor shortage now it's been so expensive for employers to rehire after having laid off and you see this uh this year still happening with the airlines uh where you have all these flights being canceled because they don't have enough pilots because right. they they gave so many of them early retirement and they uh, slashed their, you know, stopped their training programs, uh, et cetera. This idea of a federal jobs guarantee or a, a guaranteed job seemed kind of fanciful a few years ago uh, when you think about where we were uh, in American politics. Uh, and now, uh, not so much. Yeah, absolutely. And And what's super interesting is some economists at Oxford University uh, have found their way to designing a pilot program for a universal job guarantee, uh, actually the world's first in Austria. And the experiment started in 2020 is still running. And, you know, the early results are really positive and encouraging and couldn't be more excited to talk to these guys Maximilian Kazi is a professor of economics at the University of Oxford, and Lucas Lehner is an economist at the Institute for New Economic Thinking at Oxford. 
works for um, my writing partner, Eric Beinocker. And uh, yeah, let's, so let's talk to them about their experiment. Super cool. My name is Max Casius. I'm currently a professor of economics at Oxford. I'm Lukas Lina. I'm an economist at the University of Oxford, where I work on the evaluation of labor market policies. Guys, we're so uh, happy to have you with us today uh, to talk about this really interesting program you're working on. The I guess it's the world's first universal job guarantee, isn't it? So there have been uh, guaranteed, there have been some historical uh, examples of guaranteed employment projects, but there is none that is designed as a pilot uh, that is evaluated in a field experiment at, as ours, uh, which is really able to create a rigorous evidence of the effects of it. So for a long time in um, labor market policy, it was really thought that retraining is the answer for uh, job seekers to find uh, employment. And many for many job seekers, it has turned out that retraining programs can be beneficial, but it hasn't been the answer for everyone. And there have been many job seekers also who have gone through iter iterations of retraining programs, uh, summarized as active labor market policy and job search assistance, but they have actually been unable to find jobs regardless of how effective the training was that they went through. And that's what led us to um, start this project to actually guarantee a job through uh, the program itself in collaboration with the Public Employment Service Agency. Um, there have been somewhat related programs in uh, developing countries such as India's National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme. Uh, there have been large programs for public employment creation in Argentina in the past. Uh, there was obviously a very famous program in, under the New Deal in the US. But in high-income countries nowadays, it's become really rare. Uh, and there are some related programs now in France. And uh, very recently, one started in Belgium. Uh, but the one that we've started in Austria is really the one that we've designed as a pilot uh, field experiment that can actually create a uh, rigorous evidence on the causal effects of the program. That's cool. And and this is unusual in economics to actually design an experiment as opposed to just looking what what's just happening out there in the real world. Well, it's been been happening more and more in recent years, right? And so but maybe at this point I would like to also talk about background of this whole project a little bit and how it came to that. Yeah, there's some please. some aspects of that that are really that are really interesting. And the one thing I would like to emphasize there is something that's really close to my heart is this idea of outside options. That's one of the core ideas in economics, right? So this idea that when you're bargaining with someone, whether it's like your employer or maybe also like some some bureaucrat or romantic partner, that kind of the fallback option that you have really matters for you. And so something like a job guarantee program can play a really important role. I think it's such such an outside option. But basically, it sets like a lower floor or a bar in terms of how bad working conditions can get, how bad wages can get, because nobody has to accept anything worse than, than a guaranteed job if, if that exists. And so that, that's something that I think is really interesting about such programs and that motivated me to work on this. And the other part of the story that I want to emphasize is why the experiment is happening, where it's happening, which is this location in Marienthal in Kramat Neusiedl in Austria. And that's kind of a famous location, at least among German-speaking social scientists, because um, it was the location of a famous study in the 1930s in the Great Depression, 
And what happened back then is that this town was a factory town. So there was like one, one factory where pretty much everybody was employed. And then as the Great Depression hit, the factory shut down and literally everybody lost their job in this town. And so what, what happened then is that a bunch of sociologists, social psychologists went into the town to kind of study what the consequences are of unemployment and really, really understand what it does to society. And so they kind of made this, did this huge project where they did all kinds of things and recorded data, read the students' school essays, did a lot of like long interviews with people, counted how fast people are walking on the street and all kinds of things, and kind of documented all the detrimental effects that unemployment has on 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 the unemployed and in particular they found that it matters in way more ways than just the income they lose right the people lose their time structure they lose their their social connections their networks they lose their sense of purpose and belonging in society and various other things and so uh in a way what we are studying here is kind of the reverse of this historical incident right so back then everybody lost their job and some researchers um, studied what happens then and we are looking at what what happens if everybody in the town gets a job. So all the long-term unemployed people are guaranteed a job. And indeed, and that's, it's kind of really striking in terms of our findings. We find the exact opposite of what they found back then. So kind of there's an increased sense of, of purpose and meaning, improved time structure, increased social connections and so on. Yeah, that's really, really fascinating. And I think that, you know, there are just a couple of things that are worth emphasizing from what you just shared. The first is what you call fallback option, but what we like to call power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, the, the one of the sort of signature parts of the advance of neoliberal economic ideas in the West, certainly in the United States, was the disappearance of power from discussions of economics. It just sort of got assumed away. And as a consequence, it concentrated in very few hands. <laughs> yes and no, although I want to push back a little bit on that, at, at least as far as like academic economic discourse is concerned. Right. So uh, nowadays, a lot of labor economics is, is concerned with this idea of market power of employers and how, how that impacts the labor market. And that's exactly the kind of context we are also thinking about something like, like out adoptions and job guarantees has very interesting implications. I agree that now they're talking about it, but they're 40 years late, right? I mean, like, fair enough. <laughs> okay, right. like power existed yeah, always. And to just sort of forget about it is, I mean, congratulations to the folks who are now working on it, but it would be dishonest to not acknowledge that it was academic malpractice to not notice for 40 or 50 years. Yeah, for, for particularly a problem, <laughs> Nick, in the Anglo-American world. Yeah, correct. May, maybe much less as... a problem in Germany yeah, yeah. and some other in, places in Austria, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we have been the victims of that uh, amnesia in a way that not that many countries are. So, um, the, but the other the other thing that I think is really worth emphasizing, and I'd love for you to expand on, is again sort of the you know, the conventional economic, you know, economic way of looking at these things is to only think about the money, right? That the job represents only cash. But as you pointed out, it really doesn't. A job has so much more to do with how someone integrates into a society, what their 
self-image and self-worth is and how they relate to other people and their community and so on and so forth. And so can you speak a little bit more to that? Because it's, I just think it's so important. Exactly. So I think that's, that's super interesting also about, about our study, or at least interesting to me, that social psychologists have been emphasizing for a long time, right? That, that work means all kinds of things to people beyond just an income and like an annoying um, chore that they have to do. But I think it's, it also points to, to some very potentially ambivalent role that job guarantee programs can have depending on how they are designed, right? I mean, we live in a society where we define people's worth based on their wage labor. And so that people have internalized the sense of in order to be a valuable member of society, you have to have a paid job. And so it's kind of dangerous if we, if we bake that into how we design like welfare programs, right? Like, so there's whole like Thatcher Reagan and co tradition of like welfare to work fair, replacing welfare benefits by just what might effectively amount to forced labor. And so I think in that context, it's very important to, to be careful how we design something like a job guarantee. And so this was something that, that was important to us when we negotiated also with the employment agency in Austria, is that the program has to be voluntary. Um, nobody should, should be sanctioned for not accepting such a guaranteed job, because otherwise we're just like back to kind of valorizing work in the in the way where we think, oh, you don't deserve anything if you don't have a job and effectively might be making people's lives worse. But what we kind of strikingly find is that actually everybody did accept the job pretty much despite it being voluntary. And so the other thing, I guess, that, that what's important there is also how the jobs are designed, right? So this shouldn't just be any random like occupational therapy or or like degrading jobs. So there was really an emphasis in the design of this program that the employment should be meaningful and the participants were actually involved in the design of these jobs. So it's something that, that, that has purpose in the community and that's something that where, where the participants feel this is actually contributing in a way that, again, is not just like some, some kind of degrading sanction or something like that. Can you guys explain to us how this program works in practice? Like, who pays for what? And do private companies pay for some? Uh, do they provide wages, government, you know, how does it, how does it all fit together? Yeah, the, pro the program really started by the initiative of what I would, who I would call a policy entrepreneur, Sven Hergovich, who is heading the public employment agency in Lower Austria, who realized that what Max has been alluding to in your earlier question was about, that there has been a long tradition of a uh, evidence of the pro-social functions of employment, but mainly from psychology and sociology, uh, and much of it has been correlational, but not really tested in a pilot program with uh, modern economic methods to get to the causal evidence, to the causal uh, effects of um, such a program. And um, so what this program was about was to start um, a pilot program that guarantees a job to every long-term unemployed. That means every person who's been unemployed for a year or longer, um, but embedded in um, an evidence-based evaluation uh, where um, we really come in uh, with a randomized design uh, to um, determine when people are being offered that job and also evaluate possible spillovers on the labor market. And how the program is designed is that uh, every person who's been unemployed for a year or longer receives at the beginning an invitation to a training course for eight weeks that turned out to be very important, uh, which is followed 
by a guaranteed uh, job offer. And the job can be both uh, a newly created job uh, in a social enterprise directly created for the participant, or it can be with an existing enterprise uh, that receives a large uh, hiring subsidy uh, to uh, actually hire a long-term unemployed that they, in many cases, would not have hired otherwise. But the program itself then also contains training elements and assistance to search for jobs in the uh, wider labor market uh, without, though, without the pressure to actually accept jobs. That's how it differs from other conventional job search assistance um, programs. So, Lucas, in the case that someone is going to go to work for a commercial enterprise, some portion, and do, do you actually know what portion of the wage that that enterprise would be paying is subsidized? Right. It's actually a fairly larger wage subsidy at the beginning. It starts with 100% of the labor cost in the first three months, Okay. but then goes down to two thirds of the labor cost for the subsequent nine months. And after okay. a year of employment, uh, it totally uh, dis dissipates. Do employers have any obligation after that first year to maintain employment or can they lay off the work? Well, yes and, year yes and no. So, so they have no legal obligation, but there's kind of the informal sanction that the labor market service agency can can provide by not sending them any other employees if they, they need um, to hire right. somebody in the future. And they kind of expect that. But there's kind of this indirect pressure to keep people on to to not look like they're just like um, skimming the subsidy and then kicking people out again. Right. What was really surprising was that despite this uh, very large uh, wage subsidy at the beginning, uh, less than half of all job seekers employed through the program so far have found a job with a private enterprise. So that also uh, um, sheds light to the fact how we would say in economic jargon, supply side constraint, some of these workers are, but that means how uh, uh, in what kind of um, precarious personal situation they are, uh, mm -hmm. or that there are just no jobs available for them in the labor market, even if you subsidize them. And that we, we should not forget that uh, for instance, one third of uh, long-term unemployed have some sort of medical condition that prevents them from carrying out uh, every type of job. Uh, half have not more than minimum education, half are over 50 years of age when it gets really hard to find employment. So for these type of workers, it turned out that many of the conventional active labor market policies are really not very uh, effective in bringing them back into employment, but are rather perceived as a hassle, hassle to continue receiving their unemployment benefits. So for these type of workers, uh, such a direct employment uh, program can really uh, help to improve their personal, social and situation and health as well. Uh, so, so what type of jobs are, uh, for example, were these direct employment uh, jobs? What, what did they look like? Yeah, so the jobs are highly diverse because they are they were also created depending on the people's uh, skills uh, and even interests. Some of the jobs uh, were created in a newly carpentry workshop, uh, also in a workshop that carries out renovation works uh, and foster sustainability in the municipality. Some are doing public gardening. Some are supporting elderly in their municipality with daily activities. Uh, and some of the jobs were even... Uh, invented by participants themselves during the preceding training phase. So this includes, for instance, um, 
the planning of a bike trail, the renovation of a museum, a book project, and a digitalization project on the history of the town. Right, all all things that sound like needed to be done, but weren't being done in the traditional labor market. Exactly, and so like um, maybe we one of the things we started right, we didn't just look at the effect of the program on the participants themselves, and those effects were very positive, as we mentioned before. But also looked at what happened in the municipality overall, and particularly very interested in the question of crowd out, right? Which which is a critique that I think sometimes disingenuously is made of such programs to just take away other jobs, and really we don't find that at all. So we find that pretty much long term unemployment was eliminated by the program, and there was very little or no crowd out of other jobs. So it's really like an overall reduction of unemployment that you observe as a consequence. And I mean, relatedly, that, that pretty much everybody who um, was offered the job actually always accepted those jobs, which is another striking finding, but which not everybody might expect. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the one of the obvious points here is that I don't care how good a training program is, nothing substitutes for do, just doing the real job, <laughs> right? Just getting people back into the workforce in terms of making them productive, Right. Yeah, so such a thing should sort of be, be part of the cocktail of things we do, right? I'm not sure this is, this is the right thing for everyone, right? Like on the one hand, like some people, um, I don't know, cannot work at all for various reasons and they need to have safety. And I think this right. is not going to be the solution of un unemployment for everybody because many people are going to find other jobs that are better suited for them than through such a program. And so I would think of this really as part of a cocktail of things that we should do that yeah. might also include things like a universal basic income, right? Provide, provide material safety to everyone, no questions asked, and provide people like a route into having like a meaningful, socially included um, activity that's remunerated and that that's the baseline for the labor market. And that's just going to be especially helpful for people who have very specific issues. I mean, it's widely heterogeneous who the people are who are long-term unemployed, but they, most of them have ha had something happen in their lives which which made things hard for them one way or another. Yeah. Right? And so a lot of them are not going to find jobs in the regular labor market. And for them, this is like an extremely, extremely useful route. Absolutely. So do you think this program is extensible to the United States or other countries? Like, what should the next steps be? What's really key about this program is that it's actually complementary with existing social programs and with existing welfare state institutions. So providing a job guarantee uh, can actually function as an additional social safety net that supports those people who are unable to find jobs otherwise, but that is not in contrast with other welfare state institutions and policies that we have. It's neither in contrast with proposals for minimum or basic income schemes, uh, but it can actually be complementary and they could exist in parallel and even support and reinforce uh, each other in its effectiveness. And I think that's an interesting uh, avenue to uh, for for policy and for research also in the future to look at the complementarities between these type of innovative social policies. And I will definitely be in favor of implementing it. And it will, of course, be great to implement it also in, fa in phases, uh, in different uh, contexts, different countries, different cities, uh, and continue evaluating what is the best design of it. Uh, how long is the study uh, plan to go on for are, are are you going to be following the participants out into the future to see what type of uh, outcomes they have? 
even beyond the life of the program? So we've started in 2020 uh, with the program and uh, in 2021, everyone uh, was already employed and we've been evaluating um, the people's individual outcomes, but also the outcomes on the municipality since continuously. Uh, the program is currently planned until 2024. Uh, and we expect the decision until the end of the year, whether the program will be continued or not, whether the public employment agency will continue funding the program uh, or not. Uh, and uh, what we are really hoping for uh, is that based on the promising results of the current uh, evaluation, um, the public employment agency would actually decide to expand the program uh, and scale it up to uh, look at the uh, effects uh, at scale. And uh, we will, of course, be uh, continuing uh, to evaluate the outcomes, regardless of whether the program is uh, continued or not. Of course, a question we often face is, uh, how would the people to do if the program suddenly stops and they are unemployed again? Um, would they even be worse off because they've got the job, they've lost it again? And of course, that's something we will be evaluating as well in case it happens. Uh, what is very important there is that everyone uh, got the um, job, the guaranteed job as an additional um, outside option to all the existing benefits that kept being in place and voluntarily accepted to do it. Uh, and the other important feature uh, here is that the program is really intended to guarantee a job continuously and make people better off through that guaranteed job, which is in contrast again, to other active labor market policies that usually intend to bring people into employment after program participation. Can I ask a, one other practic practical question? If you look at the pool of long-term unemployed people, at least in this small town, you know, like some long-term unemployed people simply cannot work for some reason. Maybe they were injured or whatever it is. Of the long-term unemployed, how appropriate is this program? But what, what percent of long-term unemployed people uh, is this is this uh, program attractive to and appropriate for? That's an important question, Nick, because actually it turns out a third of the eligible population of long-term unemployed have some sort of medical condition in the first place that prevents them from carrying out uh, a certain type of jobs, often the jobs they've been in uh, in the past. Uh, so they are really not uh, that uh, available for the labor market. And for some of them, actually, it turns out that some sort of um, invalidity benefits uh, and some sort of other social program uh, would be the better option. And what the program does is to offer people a job, but also to support them to get the right type of benefits that are actually appropriate for them. And for some, it really isn't employment. Now, everyone who's been offered the job after the eight weeks of training phase has surprisingly accepted it. But there have been, of course, people uh, dropping out since we've been tracking the population with some ending um, in uh, precarious situations. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess yeah. my, my question is oriented around, I, I, I think one of the things I've learned in this conversation is that you think of this program as part of a portfolio of services that we can offer people. Exactly. It yeah. also, I mean, it's I mean, involved with a bunch of other other evaluations and experiments too, right? In particular, like uh, several basic income experiments, where just like for the for the job guarantee for basic income, there, there's also always the kind of the, the fine print that we really need to look at. But then 
Yeah, I'm also excited about the, the method side of things because one of my other hobby horses being like all this AI and machine learning stuff. And there's all this machinery that, that's been developed in machine learning to essentially maximize profits through, through selling ads, right? Like when you go on any search engine or a social network, it's all this like targeting and learning what ads you're going to click on and, and setting prices to maximize profit. But in a way, like what I'm trying to do there and to bring into this experiment is also to import some of these ideas and how we can kind of smartly and quickly learn um, from data, but use that like for more for social good and kind of incorporate that into how we design experiments and labor market policies and so on. So very quickly learn learn policies that maximize welfare um, defined in some way or other. So that's, that's something I'm very excited about going forward. Yeah, well, just a word of caution. I invented a lot of that targeting technology and we thought it was all going to be awesome in the beginning, uh, and it turned out to have some really nefarious implications. So, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but sorry, but it's, I, I'm not interested in the targeting part so much here. But yeah, anyway. Just just um, so you know, when the when the AI singularity happens, Nick is partially to blame. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for funding it, Nick. Yeah, exactly. When the, when the AI takes over the world. I, I guess that's that's such a compliment with Max's research actually on how to uh, repurpose uh, much of AI for the public good and the social yeah, good. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and how to get democratic control over the objectives that we are maximizing there. Yeah, no, it's a worthy project. Um, well, listen, this has been absolutely fantastic and uh, it's just uh, such an interesting and important experiment. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll be watching it from afar and rooting, uh, rooting for you guys. Uh, but one, one final question, uh, Max, you first, why do you do this work? <laughs> because I think it's, it's really important, right? We need to, we need to create institutions that, uh, create chances and inclusions for everyone and that provide a, a minimum of a dignified life in our society. And I, I think of that as, as contributing to that and to the extent that I can contribute to something to this debate um, based on, on my background in economics and empirical methods. And I'm happy to be part of that public discussion and democratic process ultimately. How about you, Lucas? I think evidence has a powerful role in making the world a better place. And my thinking has been that most people in principle can agree on fairly abstract goals on what decent life means, what decent work means on, for instance, no poverty in the world, no poverty even in high-income countries. Uh, but what politics often does not agree on is how to get there, what policies to put in place. And I think that's where research has a really powerful role to play in actually showing what works and what does not, and what are the trade-offs and what are the complementarities. And that's where I think uh, simply by creating the evidence, uh, it has a powerful role in contributing to making that world a better place. Love it. Well, thank you guys for uh, joining us and uh, best of luck on this experiment. Thanks for having us. So Nick, I think the, the most important takeaway I had from this conversation uh, was uh, that uh, we're looking at at more than just money here, we're looking at outcomes yeah. broadly in terms of That's how right. it improves people's lives, that uh, the participants of the program found much greater 
uh, satisfaction. They were happier, more secure, better connected to their communities. Uh, and in fact, the communities benefited too. We we talked a bit about how we pointed out that only about half of the jobs were in the private sector were subsidized in uh, private sector em employment for that year. The other half uh, were created in the community, uh, created by these participants in some cases. And there are things like providing aid to the elderly, uh, things that are certainly necessary, particularly in, in aging countries uh, like most of the world right now with populations aging. Uh, but also from reading the study, um, one of the particular examples was a community garden where they 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 gave a few acres to do a community garden where people can go and pick uh, for free, just go and pick fresh herbs and vegetables. And you can imagine, you know, me as a gardener, you can imagine how satisfying that must yeah, be to sure. instead of collecting unemployment benefits, to be able to create something as beautiful and sustaining uh, to the community as a community garden. That's, yeah. uh, uh, you I, can I see that, how that's a win-win for everybody. And yeah. uh, again, uh, one of the examples they mentioned was somebody who was designing a uh, a pedestrian path, a, a trail. And, you know, out here in the Pacific Northwest, you know, we've, we've got a tons of trails. We're always building more trails. That's something which is very valuable to the community that wasn't otherwise being done. So it's not make work. We're not just uh, having people dig holes and then filling them back in. Uh, these are people who otherwise would be collecting benefits who instead have voluntarily uh, taken jobs or created jobs where they're giving something back to the community. Yeah, and I think that, again, I think just to emphasize the, 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 the non-financial role a job has in uh, an individual's life and and also the way in which that individual connects with their broader community and family through that job is just it's just super important and in many ways maybe of equal or even greater importance than the actual financial income from it, uh, which is a really important thing. The other thing I think that's really important that I took away from the conversation is that, it's wrong to think about a jobs guarantee as, you know, the only system, right? Right. Which I must admit was sort of what I had in my head. Right, it, right. We're placing unemployment that, with a that's job right. guarantee. That it's a port. That's part of a portfolio of approaches that we should take to managing labor markets, providing a safety net, and making sure that our economy and, and our country is as uh, effective and as productive as possible. I'll be really interested to see what uh, the long-term results of this pilot will be. It could be a really, a really cool, a yeah, really cool thing. Yeah. Also important to note, and I don't think we got to it in our conversation, but it was in their report that this turned out to be no more expensive than That's the right. traditional uh, unemployment uh, benefits. In fact, it was, you know, slightly cheaper. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can imagine that partially because you're you're subsidizing employment for half these people instead of uh, paying the full uh, wage. Uh, private employers end up picking up part of it. But it's you know, it strikes me how different this is from the American approach during the neoliberal era when Bill Clinton declared that uh you know, welfare as we know it is over. And we started 
you know, this welfare to work movement. And uh, in many Republican states and red states, they have these uh, work requirements to receive benefits. Well, you know what? If you're working and you're being paid a living wage, you don't need benefits. Um, this is the exact opposite approach, where rather than requiring that individuals find work in order to receive welfare benefits, oh, instead, we're going to require that the government provides you a job. We're going to find a job for you. We're going to help you create a job. We're going to help not just train you, but uh, either create a job for you or find you employment in the private sector. And that strikes me not just as a more humane approach to long-term unemployment. It also strikes me as more rational. Yeah. No, and just more productive. You know, you and I have discussed at length the difference between knowledge and know-how. Right. And what you get in a training program is some knowledge. What you get in a job is know-how. Right. And that's more important. And, and, so and to be clear, that's the way the economy used to work. Employers yeah. used to train you on the job. My first job out of college was in the tech industry, and I was a history major who spent most of my time in the theater. And back then, you know, it was 1985, strong job market. It's like, oh, smart kid from a good university? Come on, we'll pay you and teach you uh, how to do your job. Yeah. And and it was like that in many industries. Certainly, you know, you didn't get a job in an auto manufacturing plant uh, knowing how to manufacture autos. No, for sure not. <laughs> they, they had to teach you all those skills. Yeah. Um, you don't get a job as a carpenter or as a roofer without some sort of apprenticeship or training. And that and you don't generally go to school, you know, get a degree in uh, roofing. Uh, you You learn that on the job. And that's that's something that outside of some craft uh, uh, professions is totally missing these days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, it was super cool that these guys managed to get this experiment going, and it shall be very interesting to see how it evolves over time. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.